Baltimore is on track for one of the city's deadliest years. Baltimore is a cautionary tale of when anti-police rhetoric, activist judges, and rogue prosecutors collide. The Charmed City currently has some of the highest murder rates and violent crime rates in any city in the country. However, this hasn't stopped the brave men and women at the Baltimore Police Department and the Baltimore City School Police Force from suiting up and showing up every day to serve their communities. Today we're joined by Clyde Boatwright, a police sergeant with the Baltimore City School Police Force, its union president, and the president of the Maryland Fraternal Order Police. I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is The Blue View. Well, Clyde, thanks for joining us today uh, at, at, and, and coming back. Uh, we had you a year ago. We talked about a lot of issues going on in Baltimore. And, uh, but I want, to take, I want to talk a little bit different, uh, take a little different approach. Uh, your role is uh, working within the schools. Uh, but before we do that, uh, how about telling our, uh, our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself? I've been in law enforcement for 20, well, this will be my 23rd year when I hit my anniversary. Um, I've spent the last 20 years with my current department, which is the Baltimore City School Police Force. Um, it's a, a department at our highest. Uh, a few years ago, we were at 143 police officers. Um, so we're a little lower than that now. Uh, in my role, I'm a uh, sergeant uh, that's assigned to external operations, which is the uh, my role as the uh, Maryland State Lodge president, but also the local lodge president. So okay. um, I handle exclusively all of the labor issues uh, as it deals with um, Baltimore City School Police. Well, cool. I, I really, what I want to do is I want to, you know, I, I, probably the best job I ever had in my 36 years of law enforcement it was the time as I served as a resource officer. I truly loved it. Um, felt like I was doing some good. But there's a lot of a lot of talk these days about whether we should have police in schools. Um, and, I, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions of what our actual role is in schools and why it's necessary for to have it. But, but if we could just unpack it a little bit. First, it's hard to talk about the climate in a school without talking about the climate of a city. Yes. And you're in the middle of Baltimore. Yes. And uh, really a school system, a school is really n nothing more than a microcosm of the community it's serving. And you've got some of the record crime going on in, in, in Baltimore, you know, itself. You get, uh, you know, we, we're coming off a year where we've got more law enforcement officers shot across this country uh, and violence towards law enforcement officers. But not only that, crime is really uh, on, an, on an increase in, in Baltimore. Let's talk a little bit about just the atmosphere that's in Baltimore and, and, and just the dangers of where we are as a city. Yeah, you know, so across the country we do see high levels of violence, but it's a little bit different in Baltimore and, and different in the fact that, um, you know, we see over 700 uh, non-fatal shootings. Uh, and over 300 uh, homicides uh, each year. Uh, and so when you combine the two, you got over 1,000 people that uh, are permanently impacted. Uh, and in some way, or more. shape, or, or more. Or yeah. their families. Yeah. Their families impacted as well. Yeah, yeah and that was going to be the, the lead-in I was going with that, you know, you, you've got, if it, there's a parent, if there's a student themselves, or uh, if it's a sibling of someone that was uh, a victim of one of these crimes uh, that we have. Um, in some cases, sometimes, uh, these issues that... Uh, happen in the community do bleed over into schools. And so, you know, as uh, police officers, we are uh, charged with the responsibility of one, as we know, to uh, be the barrier between uh, all that's good in schools and, and, and all of the madness uh, that could be outside. Uh, and so uh, we deal directly uh, as a school-based guy. Uh, you, you would deal directly with uh, some of the external uh, forces that are happening outside in the community. 
you know, I've always, uh, you know, when I was a resource officer, I tell you, I can't tell you how many times uh, we had this great working relationship with the guys that, uh, that work patrol. And if there was an incident that happened in a community, they would call me and I would have kids before, in some cases, before they even got off the bus. Some, some cases, we'd actually get them before they actually got on the bus, knowing that the things that happen within a community potentially were powder kegs. Yes. And, you know, schools, if it's going to happen in a community, it's going to spill in, yes. spill over, and it's going to disrupt the, the learning environment. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, ways that we can go and talk about why it's important to have law enforcement officers in schools. But I can tell you just from what you, you know, what you identified, I can't tell you how many times that I'm confident that we caused and were able to, call, uh, to, to have an impact on those incidents that happen within a community to make sure that the kids, when they showed up at school, didn't continue it. Uh, it was that intervention, bringing in school counselors and pulling everyone in, uh, and in some cases, even the parents, and trying to neutralize these things so that we could have a safe learning environment as opposed to the things that happen within a community. And I can give you ex example after example after example. Let's, let's talk about the role of uh, that, 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 you know, your, uh, that you have and your agency has in Baltimore. In, in within the schools, why it's so important mm -hmm. for us to have law enforcement officers in the schools working with where our kids are. So we're unique in, in the city of Baltimore in the fact that um, we have a, a city police department uh, that's comprised of you know officers that respond to 911 calls. We have a, a sheriff's office that's responsible for handling all of the courthouse um, issues. And then we have a school police department, which is a total separate department from each of the sheriff's office and the, the city police department. And our primary focus is the 84,000 uh, students in the city school system and 190 buildings that uh, the school system owns. Uh, so it's a, it's a big city. Um, and um, so our role uh, is to be um, um, the primary law enforcement officer as, as it relates to issues that happen in schools. But uh, it, it actually goes a little bit further because we're able to partner with the sheriff's office. We're able to partner with the city police, and we have a lot of uh, working relationship with information sharing. And so that goes into your point of some of the things that happen in a community. We get the information real time. Uh, and one, it's because of the way we communicate with our radio system, the way we communicate with uh, technology, with you know group text messages. Uh, the way we communicate with emails and, and things like that. So information sharing amongst the department is really, really key. Um, but that also helps both us uh, to deal with issues that may come to the school building. But it also helps um, with our local jurisdiction, uh, city police, because if we have something that happens in school that could spill over into the neighborhood, um, you know, they have real-time information and they're able to deal with it um, when it's off-peak hours uh, of the school day. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's your largest school? Uh, we have a school of about 4,000 students. All right. Which is smallest? Uh, about 100. All right. I'm and, and, and these are high schools. Well, I want to I make, a, I wanna make a, a comparison of, of maybe uh, the argument that we shouldn't have law enforcement officers in schools. There's, there's a whole lot of reasons, and, and we'll unpack them all. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about all of the dynamics of why it's beneficial to have them in schools. But, but I want to point something out. I'm sure just you, where I live and where you live is probably the same thing. If you're going to have an event where you're going to gather a group of people together, even as small as 100 people uh, at an event, then you probably have – uh, ordinances that are in place from the city of Baltimore that requires you to have a security plan, have your yes. security in place, have to have permits and all of these things. Because yes. uh, they recognize that these events, even as small as 100, 
has the potential that they need to, they need to have safety added into it. Yes. So, so we take 4,000 kids and put them into a school or even 100 kids in a school. And somehow we don't consider the fact that we should have that same safety plan and that same, you know, we're requiring, we're requiring it on one end and we ignore it when it was some of our greatest assets that we have, the valuable, most valuable thing to us, our, our, our kids. Yes. <laughs> we're ignoring our, our duty and responsibility to make sure that we have a safe learning environment. Yes. Want to want to run with that a little bit? Yes. yes. So I, I find it, you know, when I first started, my first assignment was, uh, it's a school that no longer exists, but it was Southwestern High School. Um, when you you did a, a query of uh, the the different demographics of of that school, and it they, it was a cross section of everyone uh, from every uh, different uh, demo, uh, you know background. Uh, one of the things that we found is that we were servicing students in one school from eighteen different zip codes uh, around the city, uh, and so uh, our kids have to traverse through uh, you know different. Uh, neighborhoods that may be, you know, uh, unfamiliar to them or maybe less friendly in some cases. Uh, and so whether they are walkers, uh, whether they uh, catch, whether they catch public transportation, uh, you know, school, you know, these young people have to, you know, come to school in the morning and get home in the evening safely. But to, you know, to travel, uh, you know, maybe five or six zip codes away just to get home, yeah. that's a long time. Uh, right. And so um, with that understanding that dynamic, uh, we uh, always stood in the gap. Uh, between realizing that, you know, there are certain neighborhoods that gather in certain places. Uh, the main meeting place for every day is is, uh, is the cafeteria. Uh, and so you were able to uh, develop those relationships as a school-based officer with those young people. Uh, and they will be able to give you information that may be useful to you later at a later date. So, so I'll make an argument. You, you got, there's, and there, you're right. There's a strong movement out there saying we shouldn't have law enforcement officers in schools. And, and, and I, I try to wrap my, you know, having served in that position for a while and actually supervised a, a group of officers in, in schools for, for a couple of decades, I try to wrap my head around that whole thought process. And, and I can't, I, I keep coming back to one thing. Um, there's such a, an anti, you know, bias against law enforcement officers across this country. It's really grown, uh, in, you know, in, in the last couple of years with uh, a number of events, regardless I guess my question is, is it's easy to demonize someone when you don't know them. Correct. And that's what we find, you know, across the, across the country, you know, you've got a, a bunch of people because of their own self-serving interests have really put it at the feet of law enforcement. Everything is wrong with society. And, and, and it's very much unfair because there are some 800,000 men and women who suit up and show up every day and make a difference. And yet, yet we'll point to a, a handful, a small handful of incidents and say the entire, entire system is broken. And because of that, we're all painted with that broad brush. Yes. In reality, that's not the case. Yes. You know, serving in the schools, working, building those relationships with kids, uh, allow us to to not only pro, you know provide a, a safer safer learning environment, but also build those relationships to recognize that uh, you know those who people would argue that you know law enforcement officers shouldn't be in school, maybe they're afraid that. They might realize that we're not the uh, the bad guys that we've been portrayed to be. It's you know it's all about the image. And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's funny that um, you know I, those relationships that you build with young people they last a lifetime. Um, Absolutely. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll take for example uh, during my career when I I was assigned to the high school that I graduated um, from, and I lived um, in that neighborhood until I was twenty one years old. 
So I moved away, became a police officer, and then later gets assigned back to that, that community. And and I, I'll tell you, uh, you are more of a community service officer than oh, no uh, than, than uh, you know an enforcer. Um, you know, I tell the story, uh, and I'll use uh, a different name so I don't um, um, impact anybody. But um, there was a lady by the name of Mrs. Jones. So when I was a, a kid, uh, my childhood nickname in the in the neighborhood was was Chip. Um, from you know watching, uh, you know Eric. I'm gonna start calling you Chip. Yeah, from here on out. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, and that's because I watched Eric Estrada and and, right. and uh, on on the show as a kid. So uh, there was a time where a young lady called my mother and says, uh, "Kim, can you have Chip call me because I have kids hooking school behind my house." And so that's a community service officer. She didn't think of me as Officer Boatwright. She thought of me as Chip. Because I was there a member of that community. And there so those relationships, again, are, are long lasting. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, people that make the argument that uh, young people shouldn't have uh, police protection, I always ask them, what college did you go to? And, you know, I went to University of Michigan. Well, you know, University of Michigan has a police department, a university police department. So why should they have less protection than what you had when you were going through school? When you were matriculating, you had those same protections. So our young people deserve that. They deserve a fighting chance. Exactly. You know, I I used to, you know, show up at events and and people come up to me and tell me they were a resource officer and walk away. And people with me say, well, who was that? (laughs) My answer was always the same. It's, well, it was either so-and-so. Uh, you know, or it was must have been a good kid because I don't remember. You know, because you have a tendency of dealing with the kids that, that have the most need. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, because it, it, so so I've developed relationships over the time that it, that still serve me today, and we're talking about quite some time ago when I served in that position. So it's 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 having a meaningful impact on on kids at a, at, at an age when they really need it. Yes. And, and, and look, I, I, you know, I, one thing that really. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of people can r- appreciate this, and a lot of them really don't give a, a lot of time to think about it. You take a kid who's living in an environment where it's just uh, it's just not a good environment, you know, um, a broken family, struggling, not getting regular meals, you know, school, the safety that's provided a school, that that safe environment is really the only the only safe haven they have in their lives. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so that's you know. You know Again, it goes back to the argument of why should we be at schools? Because schools are for learning. Yes. And if we don't take all of these external things that you see in our communities every single day and stop them at the door or at the gate of the school, they're going to be in our schools. Yes. yes. And where is that safe haven? And and, and it's funny, um, you know, again, the relationships you build. I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, hairdos and haircuts and, and proms uh, and shoes and fingernails and things like that that we had to you know put together to buy uh, young people who just didn't yeah. have it and that's because they develop these relationships with uh, with staff yeah. and and they come to us with their problems I can't tell you how many times I've come back from lunch and and a note was under my door that uh, hey officer boat right there's going to be a fight at this location so it was it's those type of interactions uh, where young people want to have that friendship. They want to have yeah. that, that building block and that relationship. But it's the external forces that, that decide that this is not a good idea. And why? Yeah. And it's all for clickbait. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we just got to get away from that and let our young people thrive in a learning and in a safe environment uh, that's conducive for learning. 
So one of the other things that I, I've, I've always found interesting, you know, when I was a resource officer, we had a, uh, and I'd like to talk about programs that you have within Baltimore and, and how, and we talk about the evolution. So mine goes back a little ways. It still exists today. It's a very beneficial program, and it was brought in to our school system at a time when we were seeing people get hurt. Uh, and really, the, 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 the violence in schools was escalating, and we, we saw a pattern and recognized we need to do something for it. And uh, so, so the discussion is this, is a little bit of violence acceptable? No. And, and if you're in an environment of a school and you give, you know, you take the position a little violence is okay, well, where do you draw the line? Yes. You know, when things are, are black and white, when you know if you cross this line, there's consequences with it, then it's very clear what you have. But when you blur those lines, well, people inevitably are always going to find where the blur ends. Yes. So, so I, you know, I, I know when, when, during my time there, I mean, we focus on the fact that uh, that there was a zero tolerance towards violence within the schools, but it wasn't designed to throw kids within a, in, a, in a criminal justice system. It was really designed to create a, diversions for them to take conflict resolution. It required to take conflict resolution in other classes, and for us, it turned out to be a very good program. What type of programs do you have in uh, in Baltimore? You know, a school district that uh, that is really helping curb crime when we look at cities where, you know, there is no consequences yeah. for crime. So and it's, it's funny. We've taken a, a different approach. We've used our traditional uh, approach to handling things. Uh, and, and you know, I'll break it down as such. Um, some organizations want you to have a community conferencing. They want you to have uh, a diversity, I mean, a, di- a diversion program and things like that in lieu of arrest. Um, and so we didn't always have to focus on making an arrest. And, and it's not about the quality, uh, the quantity of arrest. It's always about the quality of arrest. And so when you have an intervention, one of the ways that we would intervene, and, and this is a question, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the question I would always ask. If you have an officer uh, that has 25 arrests in one month, and you have an officer with zero arrest uh, in one month, who's more effective? And so that, that would be the question that I would ask the decision makers, and they couldn't tell me who. I was like, because this guy's school is quiet or because this guy's taking a proactive approach. And how do you quantify that? If I, if I was able to mediate a situation, and that's what we did, because we're all from the same community, we would sit the young people down and once we get to the bottom of why they were arguing or why, why there was a, a disagreement, uh, more often than not, we found that these young people had way more in common uh, than they thought, and they were actually they actually walk out becoming friends. And why? It's because we actually took the time and sat them in a room during the school day with an administrator, and we talked it out. Um, and that's just the way that school police officers do their job. Yeah, I think in in, in age comes with uh, with experience, and experience comes yes. with knowledge, and and a little bit more better understanding. And, and kids, you know, you know, some are more advanced than others, but in reality, I don't think they, you know, for us, uh, you know, they're my time there I've always you know kind of preached the fact that hey what we have here is a an incident or some trigger that has happened and then we have some action that are taken because of it mm-hmm. and most most don't think that there's a whole process in between yes or where you analyze you know cause and effect of each one of these they just go from here to here and that's how violence happens within schools uh, and so that, I, that's why I found a lot of our programs were very beneficial. You're right. Look, as a, as a law enforcement officer, I've always – I never really saw my job as going out there and, and arresting people. I saw it more of trying to correct behavior, and arrest is just one avenue 
uh, in correcting that behavior. What we're trying to do is we're trying to, to set those parameters and, and create safer environments. Yes, and you're allowing, uh, the, you know, the person, your arrestee or the suspect to get the resources that they need. It may not always be a, a penalty, you know, for yeah. jail or prison. It could be that they need other resources, and the only way they get those resources is if someone hears their problem. Uh, so, so, so one other thing that, you know, there's a resource officer model, a school resource officer model that uh, and training specifically for that. It yes. talks about the roles of law enforcement. And there's really three strong sides to, to being a resource officer. You know, one of them is that, is, you know, is within those schools and providing the safety and security within the schools. But there are two other aspects, too. One of them is law-related education. If there's a better understanding of what police officers do and the roles that they play and why the rule of law exists, all of the, then there's a greater respect when you truly understand it. Yes. Uh, and the other one is is that a law enforcement officers, like it or not, you know, although they may not have a, a degree to hang on a wall or show that they are counselors, uh, they certainly are re- reality-based counselors based off of their experience of working, and they bring another dynamic to within the schools. Can you... Talk about some of the you know experiences that you've had of how those three elements uh, play a, a key role in, in in maybe lowering the temperature within a community within a within a, a, a school system or a school that's surrounded by kind of chaos outside of the outside the gates. Yeah, it's it's funny in in our city uh, most of our schools are what we would call walk up schools that. They're located within neighborhoods and communities. Uh, and so um, it's very important uh, in order to, uh, you know, tone some of that, some of the noise down, is to clearly understand and clearly define your role. Um, and so when we get to the point of not engaging in non-police activities, um, and what do I mean by non-police activity? You know, if, if little Johnny's walking down the hallway and little Johnny doesn't want to take his hat off, um, we should our, our our administrative staff should be able to deal with that, and the teachers should be able to deal with that without getting the police involved. Exactly. Um, and so, um, calling the police because of disruptive behavior is not uh, a police function. And so, I would condition uh, the staff and and, uh, and 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 everyone that worked in the building that I work with only call me if you would dial nine one one. Yeah. If you wouldn't dial nine one one, don't get on the radio and call for me. Uh, and so. Once they started to understand uh, my role in the building as a school-based officer when I was there, um, then my calls for service became less and less, and my interactions became my, my interactions switched. The paradigm shifted from only negative interactions where uh, I had more time to to, do, to positively impact our young people, and that's with extracurricular activities. You know, I was able to coach multiple sports uh, and do some other activities, and kids got to see me outside of the uniform. And that's one of the roles that most of our police officers, they serve as mentors, they serve as coaches. Exactly. They serve, they serve on these various boards. I was an advisor for a class. Uh, so, you know, we had to sponsor their prom and, and their class trips and things like that. So they saw me more as a part of the school community right. than an occupying force. And so some of these uh, these advocacy groups that are, are totally against police being in school, they don't understand the interesting dynamic that police officers have with young people because, you know what? 
we get information and we give information with helping our young people understand the law um, and give them classes on what to do when you're stopped by police. And what we're thinking as a police officer, if I'm stopping you in a car, I'm going to explain to you what I'm thinking when I see you move, when I see you do this and, and things like that. So our young people are armed with the, the best information that when they have a police encounter, it does not have to always end or become negative. You know, there's and there's a movement across this country that you'll see a lot of prosecutors that are, are trying to do social reform through, uh, not through the legislature, but through their own decision of what crimes they're going to, 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 to prosecute. And, prosecute. Yeah. and, and it's creating a, a lot of problems. It, it's creating problems that are that are far beyond, have, have little to do with law enforcement, have everything to do with law enforcement. Uh, you have you know, creating, you know, food, you know, Creating an atmosphere where businesses are leaving communities. What is the quality of life of community? What's the ability to have access to, you know, to services and to to, to stores and you know drug stores and all of these things? But but in reality, they're not happening. That's correct. Uh, what we're seeing across this country are businesses that are taking two approaches. There are one approach is, is you know what, it's just not profitable profitable anymore because there's no deterrence of the theft that is existing within my store, and then there are now. Business that are stepping up saying, you know what, I can't with a good conscience have employees in this environment. Yeah. It's not safe for them. And what does that say about a community when, when, when that's where we are, when, when we have policies, fail policies, that are creating such, you know, that really deteriorated communities, the very communities that they claim that these, these, uh, these, these adjustments that in the criminal justice system is, is going to help is actually harming them even more. But but I want to I want to take it a little bit further because this is the role of a resource officer. Our job is not to go in and arrest kids. As a no, resource that's correct. Our job that's is to it. is to create a safe safe working environment and work within that environment to maintain a safe safe environment. And arrest is not always the answer. That's correct. However, sometimes arrest is the answer because some people just need to be taken out. That's most of crime you know committed in, in any community is committed by a small percentage of people, and they do it because they're they don't they don't. They don't recognize the consequences associated with it in some cases. So I'm going to pose a question for you. Um, and, you you know, you deal with it every day of dealing with kids and know with that, you know, how do you, how do you draw those parameters? Tell me what good we're doing to a kid who, who crosses the line, who acts out, who does a little violence a little bit, and we, and we don't hold them accountable. And then it escalates, and it escalates mm-hmm. until a point now the kid's sitting in prison because of, of some incident. That uh, that that. My, my question is this: Where do we go wrong in trying to correct that behavior early on and save that kid before he ever gets to the point where he's too far gone? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're actually setting these young people up for failure. Um, we're not exposing them to what the real world has for them: uh, immediate consequences for your actions. Uh, and you just said it. Our role is not to make an arrest, but sometimes an arrest is warranted. Um, but the arrest is to get you resources and services so you understand not to make that same uh, that t- same type of uh, mistake or behavior. That behavior, you know, that that behavior is not acceptable. So what we must do is 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 give our, arm our young people with the best information available. And and how do we do that? We show them uh, that you know you you should not be limited 
you shouldn't limit yourself to only understanding the narrow mind of p- political figures who have a different agenda. Uh, you have to understand that if you cross uh, certain lines in certain areas, that you will be held accountable immediately. I mean, I'll take Baltimore for an example. For the last eight years, we had a prosecutor who decided that certain crimes uh, that were nonviolent uh, were not going to be tolerated. And so people, they, she, she did that but didn't educate the public that it's still illegal. And so the mindset is that I, it's, I can do what I want. I can, I can smoke marijuana. I can steal. I can do anything as long as I don't hurt someone. Uh, and so having that approach, um, you know, gave people a false sense of understanding of the law. Because when you try to correct, correct that behavior, they still they believe because of these prosecutors that make these uh, social justice movements that they believe that they are right because the prosecutor won't prosecute the crime. However, if you go one mile up from in some locations to another jurisdiction, you cross that city line or that boundary, that other prosecutor is definitely enforcing the law. And so they find themselves in a trick bag where they walk on the other side of the, the boundary uh, into another jurisdiction, and now they're being held accountable, and they, have, they're un, they don't have an understanding why. Like you said, they found themselves with escalating behaviors. They're sitting in a jail cell. And it's only because they were not properly informed by those that uh, that took up the flag of this social justice movement. And they did it in the wrong way. You cannot do it as a as a prosecutor. That's not the role of a prosecutor to change law, uh, to decide what laws are not going to be prosecuted. You that job, that job is is for a lawmaker. If you want to become a delegate or a senator, that's your role if you want to change the law. But. To become a prosecutor and decide uh, that you're not going to prosecute crimes. One one uh, important part of that is you're not giving the victim the proper proper, uh, proper services. And who are these victims? These are our businesses. These are our, our community members. Uh, and they want corrective action taken. Um, when you're a victim of a crime, you want the person to be held accountable. Yeah, and and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna again I'm gonna add to that that uh, that it's almost criminal to not hold people accountable. Yes. Because we are, as you said, setting them up for failure. And so when we look further down the line and see that they're repeat offenders over and over and we see them escalate over time. You know, I had a, uh, I had a guest here uh, um, uh, on, a, on a podcast a while back, and he, he said something pretty profound. When he, when he talked about a particular case that he worked, Marvin Richardson with ATF, he talked about a case where he worked where an individual who, uh, and I'll just summarize it, who had contact with uh, law enforcement, but nothing was done to him. And then it escalated and escalated. It continued and continued and t- continued until it uh, it resulted in the, the homicide of several people. And, and his his I guess his his thought was is you know what if they had intervened with this kid early on, well, would these people have died? Yes. And so you know it's almost criminal to somehow think that uh, that we're not going to to hold people accountable and somehow that's beneficial to them because really it's. It's it's it could be disastrous for them themselves. Well, what we we saw in in Baltimore, and, and thankfully that prosecutor is no longer in office. Uh, the residents, um, you know, decided that they wanted to go in a different direction. I mean, seventy percent of the voters, um, you know, voted for other candidates. Yeah. Um, and um, but that prosecutor would in the, in the in favor of a high conviction rate would exchange uh, guilty convictions. For serious crimes, for no time, little time or no time at all, uh, and so that really, really set a bad precedent because people saw 
some uh, of these people committing. Um, they saw these suspects committing these crimes. They saw them get arrested for the crimes. They saw them on TV with their face, and then they see them back on the street um, with little to no uh, accountability because that prosecutor cut a deal in favor of touting a high conviction rate. Yeah. Because of a, a plea deal. I want to shift gears a little bit, and there's a challenge that we have in law enforcement across the board. And that is is that we, we see law enforcement officers because of the environment. You know, law enforcement officers, and not anyone, anyone, I don't care what your profession is, I don't care who you are. Uh, when it comes down to it and what your job is, you could, you, could, you could be a printer, you can be a painter, you can be whatever. Uh, there's two things that, that every person, I think, wants and they want to know is, is what they're doing is important, mm-hmm. and they're appreciated for what they do. So the problem we have in law enforcement, and just like the attack of whether we should have law enforcement officers in schools, it has created an environment where people are leaving our profession at a rate we've never, ever seen before because they just don't feel appreciated. And they don't feel what they're doing is important uh, because, because of these policies that exist in many cases by rogue prosecutors who somehow want to who want to adjust the uh, you know social injustice, not looking at the damage they've done within their own community. At the same time, we have uh, we don't have people coming in and taking this job because they've demonized us so bad. Yeah. So what's the impact you're having on your agency? What's the impact you're having is you know in Maryland as a, as a state president? Because uh, I see that as as you know an existential threat to this profession that is probably going to last a decade, if not even a generation. Yes, yeah. So you're absolutely correct, um, and and uh, the fact that we are seeing high turnover rates. Um, um, what we have to focus on with uh, recruitment is also the retention piece. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times uh, you, we throw a lot of incentives uh, for people to come to take the job. I agree. Um, but those that are already here, uh, we limit uh, the, the resources and the benefits that we give them. They shouldn't uh, be recruiting and retention. It should be retention and then recruiting. And, then, and recruiting, right. Yes. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that uh, we're doing, like in Maryland, we, we had a bill drafted last year uh, in the Senate. Uh, uh, it was Senate Bill 949, and we reintroduced in it in our legislature that just started um, is an educational incentive. Uh, and it's the, the police officer's equivalent of the GI Bill. Uh, so if you want to go back to school, we incentivize you going back to school. You can get an educational uh, credit uh, for going to school, pay for going, or you can go attend one of the state-run institutions for free. Uh, and if you do not want to use that benefit, you could pass it to a dependent child. Uh, so that is a, an incentive that we're trying to do uh, that for people that are already in the profession. Uh, and so uh, we all, you know, feel that uh, education is the key. Um, a better educated cop makes better decisions. Uh, and so we're trying to make sure that we do everything we can to give them uh, the tools and resources. So um, when we are identifying what's in uh, the recruitment piece, we just need to make sure that we're focusing both on recruitment and retention. Um, because uh, what happens is we see too many times people come and do this job for a few years and then they say, you know what, I can go and uh, make money being a YouTuber, <laughs> you know, yeah. doing something else, right. TikTok, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we got to keep uh, good people uh, who actually care about our communities. We got to keep them in this profession. And the only way to do that is find creative ways and creative incentives to attract them to stay.
Absolutely. Well, Clyde, I appreciate uh, I appreciate all you do as a, as a state president. Uh, some challenging times in your state uh, representing your members. I appreciate what you do in your your own union, uh, but I also appreciate the person you are and the job that uh, that you and your fellow officers do in protecting the schools in in Baltimore. Thank you. If uh, as, in final words uh, you'd like to share. Yeah, I, I'll say this. Uh, you know, police officers that uh, work in a school environment. Um, um, are, are a unique breed. Uh, and it's not I for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's an acquired taste. It's almost like drinking a Guinness. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. <laughs> gotcha. It's a good, good comparison. So, uh, so I'll just say hats off to all of the uh, folks that serve as resource officers and uh, um, because we see you. Um, we, we want yeah. you to know that you are not forgotten uh, and, you know, that is a unique job and um, you know, just continue to keep up the fight because ultimately a resource officer is the bridge uh, between uh, our young people and the law enforcement community. And keep, be careful uh, what you do uh, as a resource officer because somebody could be watching. I'm excited to see uh, one of my students uh, that uh, was a, a athlete for me never came to me and talked about being a police officer, but, you know, he recently, you know, shared that, it was because of him watching me from afar. He decided uh, to to join this profession. So, um, so I have a long list. I have a coaching tree now. I see one lieutenant, awesome. a couple sergeants, uh, and guys that have been promoted in, in various police departments that you know came through that coaching tree. And and to a man, um, each one of them uh, have decided that you know it was that influence and that positive interaction uh, that they maybe not share with everyone that influenced and impacted their decision to join this uh, this profession. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I, I know you and I, I've told you a story before, but it, it, it kind of shocked me. We had an event uh, uh, here in Washington, and it was uh, someone at the uh, – at Quantico Base, who who needed a letter, he, he actually needed some permission to attend an event we had, mm-hmm. and so you know what, I, I don't, I'm not. It was a you know, I, I'm not in a position to be able to send a letter yeah. and tell this person it's okay to go to this 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 event that was you know hosted by a public official. Uh, but I, what I can do is, I, if you give me the, su- the supervisor's name, I'll send him an email and ex- explain what what it was because it was an officer who was going and he wanted to bring his son who was stationed in in, uh, in Quantico, uh-huh. and uh, I didn't pay attention. You know, I just I got the email and I responded back to it, and, and uh, you know the the, the guy, kid sergeant over at Quantico said, hey, you know, absolutely sounds like a great event. I'll give him uh, you know clearance to go to it. You may not re- recognize me, but you know I was uh, I was one of your uh, one of your um, explorers. Uh, in your agency, and uh, you know, I look at the the things that uh, that was done and experiences I got from the people that work with them during that time. Mm-hmm. It put me where I am today. Nice. So you just never know. You never know the impact you have on people. That's correct. And uh, you know, just uh, just keep up the great work, and we appreciate all you do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And to our viewers uh, and and our, our our listeners, thank you for joining the Blue View podcast, where where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women of law enforcement who suit up and show up every day in communities across this country and make a difference. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.